thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello? Hello? <laughs> and it's love you bring that you're looking at tonight when you sing even the birds who fly sweet young thing. Okay, what was that all about? I don't know, just Struck me. Ah. I got possessed by the Nez. Ah. So, how are you this evening? I'm doing fine. And just to let our fans and uh, other wonderful people know, you have 12 more shopping days until Beethoven's 252nd birthday. Just yes. let you know. I mean, I know the rush and all that. And, you know, it's. The holiday specials are just so overwhelming, but just to let you know, just 12 more days. Yeah, I think I'm going to do most of my shopping online. It's it's too hard to oh, you fight can, the traffic. You can do shopping online. You, you just let you remember that, uh, you know, it's get, uh, getting stressful out there. And uh, you want to make sure that your loved ones get the perfect Beethoven's gift. Yes, Raymond is here and he says, I hope everyone is well. I hope you are well too, Raymond. Um, I do want to mention tonight that um, Linda Goffrey, the author of The Beast of Bray Road, passed away on November 27th at the age of 71. Um, she was a well-known uh, person. Researcher. Well, person of the paranormal, um, she wrote about the werewolf of Wisconsin. And so, you know, I want to send our regards out to her family and our condolences. So, just so how have you been today? I've been doing okay. Uh, kind of had a lazy day today. Um, much needed, I guess. But didn't get out of bed till 6 p.m. So, and you, how are you doing? I've been up since around uh, 7 o'clock this morning. Ah, sure. Make me feel guilty for being lazy today. Yes. Uh, so, any other paranormal news or anything else new before we kick off tonight's topic? Uh, just to let you know, I don't know. It depends on what you were doing. Depends on what I was doing. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did also want to mention that, um, the singer of the song, uh, I'm going to live forever fame. Irene Cara died. Yes, we, we mentioned her a few weeks ago, and she also passed away recently. Yes, and so. and uh, also, 
for all you wonderful people uh, in the neighborhood, yes, in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, uh, would like to uh, share with you that uh, everyone's favorite uh, neighbor on Sesame Street, aka Bob McGrath, died today. Mm, our condolences to his family as well. Right. Yes. And I want to mention, um, thank you all for joining us today. If you're in our Facebook group, um, The Skeptic Psychic, feel free to chat with us and we'll answer as many messages we can as we can on air. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe and ring the bell so you can get notifications when we are live. Uh, and... ring, the, uh, ring that bell, you know, the little R Regina Bell or even a Will Smith, you know, just ring that bell. Yes. And if you're listening to a recording of this through podcast, um, we do ask that you rate us how many stars? Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. Five stars. Cinq, yes. uh, cinq étoiles. Cinq de l'étoile. Bon, c'est bon. Bon, c'est bon. Bon, bon, c'est bon. We do like five stars, but we'll get whatever you take us. Yes, thank you. Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac also passed away. I yes. forgot about that one. Yes. Uh, that was another sad passing. Um, but yes, if you are listening to this on a recording, make sure you like and... I'm sorry. Uh, we do ask that you rate us five stars, but we'll take whatever you give us. Um, well, take what you give us and uh, understand. Yes, and make sure that you leave a review as well. Uno, um, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco. We, we do read reviews on air, so please, uh, if you can, leave us a review. And what are we talking about tonight? Elves, gremlins, brownies, fairies, Cecilia. All part of the universe of the fey creatures. We'll talk, okay. probably talk about the high court, the low court, the no court, as well as, you know, the uh, mischievous to the friendly to the woodsy. Now, do you think that these creatures really exist or do you think they are myths and legends from a time uh, that has passed? Well, it depends. On? On, I would say, on how much we rely on, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the old wives' tales. I know uh, there's been times that I have been missing something. And our beloved sweet mother has mentioned to me that the fairies have ran off with it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I'm, I know on. Sorry, got a text message. Brain fart. <laughs> ADD. Um, I know that. On the haunted Scotland, they have interacted with creatures who have said that they were the Fae, um, such as gnomes and fairies. So, is there truth to these 
um, creatures? Are they elementals? Are they, uh, Raymond thinks they exist. I am kind of leaning towards that as well. But my question is, are they elementals? Are they actual creatures? Are they spirits? What do we think the Fae are? Well, there is a theory that they uh, were intergalactic uh, creatures that crash land, uh, crash landed uh, on Earth during uh, during the Dark Ages. Interesting. So they're aliens. They might be. Why is everything always aliens, though? I don't know. Why can't we just what? have a, uh, you know? Why couldn't the lizardmen actually be underground, you know? Why can't we just have magic and, you know, all these wonderful things here on Earth without it having to have come from somewhere else? Darn it. You know, we've got the Batman, the Batwoman. We've got, you know, a Batgirl. Yes, I just, I've never understood why everything that's, that's magical or amazing. Oh, it's aliens. It's like, there's some magic to our world as well. Tawathathians are probably uh, those that have lived up in the mountains for far too long. Uh, Tawathians are also uh, uh, another type of fae. Well, let's just go ahead and get into the fae then and share the information we have with our listeners. Yes. Make them all question, question the reality. Yes. Because elves, gremlins, brownies, fairies, uh, silly are all part of the world of the Crefae creatures. In fact, Fae, depending on what culture you're in, is spelled differently, but all are interchangeable. The Fae itself are not a specific genus of creatures, but rather the term of a rather loose one created to lump all the races together from both the ethereal and material plane. The Fae, however, despite several stories, are mortal and can be killed. They are said to be able to change shape into human form in order to pass as a human, but most have just one form, meaning it would be either in its natural form or as one specific human. They cannot change human forms at will. Interesting. So yeah. according to this theory, they're actually mortals and not spirits or elementals. Yes. Well, let's just go into a few of the myriad of fae out there in the world. Um, I would my- like to... I'm sorry? In the future, part yes. two of this wonderful, because we're <laughs> going to be discussing a wide variety. If we do forget them, let us know, and we can bring these creatures up uh, in part two. In yes. the future! Yes, tonight we're just glossing over the term fae, um, but in the future I would like to do an episode where we cover each one individually because there's so much information on these amazing creatures. Um, so we thought we'd go ahead and just tackle the ones that you've most likely heard of and would have questions about in this blank statement of fae tonight. Um, we're going to go ahead and start out with brownies. And these creatures love confused with the young Girl Scouts, which I was one. I was I was a a brownie. Mm. Yes, I remember it well. Um, But they do love to clean and fix things around the house. 
and they are thought to be useful to have as they do hate to be watched so they do do their work late at night while families try to clean and make things tidy um I wish I had some of these brownies because, you know, I'd like to have some little dust fairies come by and clean my house once in a while, personally. Oh. You need to probably start leaving some honey or some sweet cream or other treats to encourage the brownies to enter. Yes. Um, now, if you are, if you do upset or abuse the brownies, kind nature, however, so, you know, say you take advantage of their kindness and always leave your house a, a total wreck for them to come and clean. Um, they will spoil the food within the home before they leave. So if your food in your fridge is gone bad, people, you've upset a brownie. You didn't, you know. And they'll probably uh, force you to buy all the Girl Scout cookies just to uh, cut for them to come back. Ooh, Thin Mints. Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't mind getting some Thin Mints from those brownies. Those are my yeah. favorites. Now, Hobbs are also gentle folk, but they're mostly uh, dealing with uh, farms and uh, working with animals. They are part of, with the brownies, what we call a worker-style fay. The Hobbs prefer to get their uh, work done while no one is looking. If you sight... If you sight a hob, it may leave the barn door open or gates open to your animals and can wander free or even cause blight upon your crop, crops, crops, crop crops. So again, if your barn door is left open, you've had, a, you know, you've slighted a hob. Right. So again, make sure you take care of those worker fay. Yes. And also, ladies and gentlemen, if you do leave your barn door open, please. Your Mustang does not need to breathe that badly. Yeah, let's go ahead and change topics because that just saying just brings a lot of, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Leprechauns. Yes, uh, le the leprechaun. These are the most industrious kind of the bunch as they love to tinker with watches and shoes. So, the story of the fairy, the little elves were that were working on the shoes were actually leprechauns. They may have been. You know, unlike some of the other fae, though, they expect real payment for their work. You know, they want some coin instead of some food. And the so-called quote-unquote pot of gold they, they hoard is simply the combined payments for a life service rendered. So it is a wonder why they guard it so fiercely. Um, I know I wouldn't want somebody to go breaking into my bank account and stealing my money that I've worked hard for. So let's let the, let's let the leprechauns keep their gold people. Yeah. I mean, who wants to lose all their retirement after years of hard work to some uh, guy who just has been lazy all the time. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, let's leave their gold alone, people. I mean, it, we've all dreamed of finding that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but it does belong to somebody else. Yes. Now, the brownies, hobs, and leprechauns are all part of a group that are known as the worker fae. And these workers will happily perform for humans. 
However, there are other fae that will not. And these fae are commonly known as the children of the woods, though they don't always stick with forests or the trees. Pixies are the most, uh, most well-known of the children of the woods. Tending to remain invisible, they will, at times, allow themselves to be seen. Pixies love to meet in wetlands and marshes, where they often mistaken for dragonflies. They are mischievous and will play pranks on you. If you get too close to their home, territories, but are said to uh, rush to your aid of any children in danger. As in their innocence, they are protective of all youngsters. Yes. So, if you're scolding your youngster and you stump your toe or feel something like feels like a little pinch or like a mosquito bit you, it could be a pixie protecting that child. Yes. We also have sprites that live around and in freshwater rivers and lakes. And they do avoid humans as much as possible. If they feel that their home is polluted or threatened, they can grow violent. Though it is thought that they will often save drowning victims. And when they're not invisible, they often take on the form of a young girl when seen, uh, when seen at, so as to appear non-threatening. Um, so I guess this would be stating or insinuating that the Lady of the Lake... I think that would make sense. I've yeah, always thought that myself. Well, the problem is, is that uh, the Lady of the Lake uh, uh, has always been uh, formed as a, uh, I wouldn't say a young maiden, but more or less, a, in most legends, uh, they have actually told her that she's sort of, sort of a warrior type woman. Interesting. But, yeah. And Sips, on the other hand, that's S-Y-L-P-H-S, their mountain, canyon, or other uh, remote arafay. They dislike the humans encroaching their territories, and they've been known to use their limited control over the wind to push people off ledges should they appear ready to trample on their home. The Sip, however, are usually not ill-tempered and can be calmed down by whistling or singing. They've been known to follow humans in order to enjoy the music. We'll otherwise leave you be. Hi, Autumn. Glad you could join us. And I've seen, um, she says she took advantage of the girls being asleep to tend to herself. Okay. And um, I've seen the videos and pictures you've been posting of your girls, and they are just adorable. I wanted to let you know. Yeah. And... Then we have other fae that are not classed as workers or children of the woods. And these include things such as gremlins, goblins, and hobgoblins. Now, gremlins, not to be confused with the movie. <laughs> yes, as much as I love the movie gremlins, this is, you know, completely different from the movie. But they weren't known until the early i'm sorry the late 1920s and during world war ii 
Some think, without proof, that the term may even go back further, such as around the First World War. However, it is unknown if the creation was a de derivation of goblins, but the gremlins are actually known as invisible creatures that wreak havoc on machinery. So when you get a bug in your computer, it could be a gremlin messing with it. Um, but their first love is airplanes. And, you know, these were vital during the war's fight. So any trouble on the board, the plane, they blamed on the work of gremlins. Um, so I guess they just thought it would be fun to mess with the planes as these people were, maybe they're anti-war and they were trying to disrupt the planes fighting. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I think, you know, uh, our research, uh, our researcher uh, did have a few uh, technical errors in uh, on the research. And I told her it's probably the gremlins that uh, were messing with the computer. That's very possible. Yes. Now, being invisible, their description can vary, but they are thought to be small and humanoid-like. Um, perhaps they have bat wings, like skin with um, sharp teeth and claws. So they kind of do look like the gremlins from the movie, their thought, um, and they use these sharp teeth and claws to sever cables or chew through your fuel lines. And they weren't really known um, outside of the military until the author Ronald Dahl wrote his first children's novel, which was titled The Gremlins. Okay, another uh, wonderful trivia question about Ronald Dahl. Name one of his most famous novels. That's Take a your question. time. I know exactly what I'm thinking of. Ah, can we Google it? No, no Googling. Ah, you're no fun. Then I won't I know. know the answer. I know the answer. Well, why don't you share with us the answer? Come with me and you'll see in a world of a pure imagination, hero Charlie. And the Chocolate Factory. Really? Which later became Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Chocolate Factory. Starring Gene Wilder. And, and if you really want to sing, <laughs> once again, Johnny Depp played Willy. When they did the Chocolate Factory once again. So you see, Ronald Dole wrote Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, which is his most famous novel of all. And the sequel to that was... Um, the Great Glass Elevator. Yes. So in his novel, The Gremlins, they were tiny men who lived on the Royal Air Force fighter planes. He even named gremlin wives fin fella or i'm sorry fifth finellas and made the children their own names with the boys being widgets and the girls being flipper tigibits uh, yes and no again unlike the movie 
True gremlins are not cute and fluffy and sweet, spawning roofless, ugly brutes once getting wet. No, the, the really sweet creatures are mogwais. Mogwai! Yes, Mo was a mogwai, not a gremlin. Yes. Yes. So you tell somebody, don't be such a flippagented bitch. You're really just saying, don't be a little gremlin girl. Interesting. Yeah. You know, speaking of mugwais, I used to have a mugwai Furby. And that thing would just go off whenever it wanted to. Um, <laughs> I think all puppies. <laughs> I think all puppies are gremlins. Um, but yes, um, I had a Furby gizmo and that thing would go off at the weirdest times. I think we ended up taking the batteries out of it because it started freaking us out. Mm. Um, Although uh, I do remember, uh, you know, how they, uh, the early Furbies uh, 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 actually, you know, they were supposed, you know, they, you know, learn, uh, learn as you speak. I remember when I was, when I had one of the first ones and I got woken up in the middle of the night with uh, a Furby making such racket that we had uh. to put it outside. Yeah, and mine would just, at the weirdest times, it would start saying, sleepy time, oh boy. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we'd turn the light on, it would go, bright light, bright light. Yes. So, going back to the flibbert gibbet, I don't even know how to say that word. Um, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it actually means... Frivolous, flighty, or excessively talkative person. So that would be me. Um, maybe that's how they perform, though. Is this how the gremlin girls perform? Is flighty and talkative like me? Yep. Maybe that's how they uh, behave. In, uh, in fact. So I could be a goblin, a gremlin girl. Yep, you could. Unbeknownst be a to girl. all of you. Yes. Yes. Goblins on the other hand, are rather grotesque creatures that varies in temperament depending on the uh, region you're in. Some claim they're merely mischievous household spirits and others say they're malicious bestial thieves, which probably are the ones that have been stealing all that stuff. Yes. Goblins are small, like brownies, imps, and kobolds, but they tend to be mislabeled as the word goblin includes a lot of other similar creatures such as Pudawakis and Ifrits. Goblins, however, are not likable. There is a type of goblin called the Red Cap who is said to dye its hat in the blood of humans. Mm -hmm. That resulted in its name, Red Cap. In South Korea, however, goblins are known as Dokepai and are known to reward good people and punish the evil by playing tricks on them. Native Americans believe in the Potawiki. It is said that they were once friendly to humans, though they turned against us, and it should be left alone as they are known to kidnap people, push them off cliffs, blind would-be victims with sand, and then attack with sharp knives and spears. Now, also to know is that there is a festival, I believe, in... Uh, Either with yeah in Wisconsin, where uh, they uh, 
people all get together and uh, make loud noises and shout and throughout the town. And just when they get to the outskirts of town, they grab brooms and start sweeping to get all the Pudwuckies out of the uh, out of the town. Interesting. Um, Raymond says that goblins are also green and fight Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, even the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow brings up Potawakis in his epic poem, which is titled The Song of Hawaitha. Hiawatha. Yes, Hiawatha. Yes, um, in the shores of Gitchagumi. Now, the word hobgoblin, while often used to mean especially mischievous or wicked goblins, is also used, is also used to reference elves, um, which is I find very interesting. Or, you know, it could be anything that can cause fear. The fact that such words morph their meaning over time makes things like the bugbear which used to be a word to define fear, into a form of a goblin that now eats misbehaving children. So if that's the case, I guess the Kikui in the Hispanic tradition or Mexican tradition could possibly be a hobgoblin or a goblin because I know they... When their kids are misbehaving or not listening, they say, you better behave or the Kikui's going to come and get you. Those poor children. Yeah. Um, and it's morphing that eventually left us with the terrifying and mythical boogeyman, which may or not be Faye at all. Um, so that would be another good episode we can do sometime about the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. Is it a fae? Is it a demon? Is it the spirit? Is it just something made up to frighten little children to make sure they're inside before dark? Yes. Although uh, a great literary uh, writer, I can't remember his uh, name off the top of my head, uh, in his book, The Hog Father, uh, described that the first boogeyman who really did like children, but was always uh, was always, always fear of uh, they always feared him because he looked so ugly, became the world's first tooth fairy. Yes, uh, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett, yes. Yes, and Autumn is asking if um, Krumpus could be a goblin. Krumpus. Uh, Is actually uh, I wouldn't say uh, is is a more of a folk uh, a uh, woods uh, woodsy character, not really a goblin because uh, he works with Santa. So he could be an elf. Yeah. Interesting. You know, kind of like a mixture of. Uh, what you would call a uh, a pan-like creature, uh, what we would discover, uh, see as thing as as horns. And like I said, his job is is to actually, uh, you know, punish the children, you know, that are are bad. Uh, rep 
if you're really bad uh, during Christmas time and Santa forgot your coal, that means that Krumpus is on his way. Yeah, I wanted to do an episode on Krumpus for um, this year's Christmas, but kind of got outvoted, so that's going to have to be a future episode. Well, we're, uh, we could, I'm probably going to be working on maybe a blog post about Krumpus around the time that it, it actually happens. That would be cool. I'm sure our listeners would enjoy reading a, a blog about him at least. Yeah. Now, above the lesser children of the woods and the worker fray, there are the nobles who reside both here and when needed also in the neither uh and the aether, which is the the veil. Let's just put that. I'm not saying behind the veil, but they work between the veil and the uh there may be many forms of which humans have yet to meet, but those who have fallen the two distinct categories, the Seely and the Unseely Courts. Outvoted by who? Uh, researcher and development uh, kind of uh, outvoted this year on that. Took two votes. Yeah, my co-host co and research developer uh, outvoted me on that. Um, because when we get into uh, Krumpus, it gets very dark. Yes. But like I said, I'm going to uh, write a blog post on that. And maybe next year we get together and do, on the day of Krumpus, uh, do an actual episode. But it's already too late uh, to do Krampus episode because I think it's the tenth. Uh, now, here. while you're looking that up, going back to the two quartz that you were discussing, um, both do have anchors to our mortal world and will work with other Fey and the rare human if needed. Now, yes. while sorry to Go interrupt, Krampus, Krampus, uh, not. It's December 25th. I mean, December 5th. Oh, okay. So that's so, actually tomorrow. Tomorrow, right. Yes. Now, while noble fae can be killed and, there are, and are therefore considered mortal, their long lifespan of up to or exceeding a thousand years gives them a vast wealth of knowledge and experience to draw from. Unlike the more impulsive fairy or pixie who live infinitely shorter lives, these, you know, tend to live quite a while. Um, so I guess like the elves and stuff would go into this. Um, mm -hmm. Now, as we tend to lump the seely court as the good fae and the unseely as the wicked, it does go much deeper than that. And why don't you tell us how that goes deeper? The Seelie are basically those who would be inclined to seek help from humans if he needed and return to such kindness in return. They would likely give advance warning if you were nice, but had somehow accidentally offended them. However, being faith, they will produce mischief and average insults directed at them. 
Now, the unseelie, while considered the darker fae, were seen in Scotland as being closely associated, associated with witches. They were quick to respond harshly if insulted. Irish in lore considered the seelie as the gentlefolk who were fond of music and dancing, while the unseelie are evil and tend to be associated more with the devil. The famed Irish writer and poet William Butler Yeats, or Yeats, I always wondered how to pronounce that. He lumped these fae into groups, the trooping fairies and the solitary fairies. The trooping fae would live in communities and were known for singing and dancing, while the solitary, such as leprechauns and banshee, were more likely to be harmful. Hi, Shelly. Glad you could join us. We're glad you're here. Um, and British folklorist Catherine Mary Briggs in the 70s stated that there was actually a third group of the Fae, which she called the domesticated fairies. And she felt that these lived in small family groups. Some lands say that the unseelie refuge refuse to deal with humans, such as werewolves, but will work with the occasional vampire if it's mutually beneficial. The Seelie, on the other hand, are the opposite. And while some lands have their own unique fae, such as the Cornish fairies, Spriggans, Pixies, Buckas, Balkos, and Knockers in the Cornwall region of England, the Welsh included... Sorry we aren't able to pronounce the actual Welsh names. Elves, spirits of the mire, household spirits, lake maidens, and mountain spirits that resemble the hag. Yes. Yes, Tinkerbell with pixie dust. Yes. Um, so the Germans seem to be the main culture to embrace the elves. Um, however, they do pop up in Scotland and Scandinavia. However, the term elf did begin to die down in German culture after medieval ages, and they started to talk more about dwarves and fairies. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine one day because he insisted that the term elf did not come into existence until Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, I, you know, hate to tell you, but it did originate in Europe long before Lord of the Rings was ever even thought of. I mean, these are creatures that people think actually exist or existed, not something that Tolkien made up. Tolkien right. took upon these myth mythological creatures when he wrote Lord of the Rings, but he did not create them. Sorry, right. off-topic tangent, ADD. <laughs> no problem. The elves of Scotland and Scandinavia, however, were thought uh, of, of as a people who were thick with magical powers, but who lived independently alongside human communities. They were considered to cause illness in both countries, as well as early ballads that described the elves either abducting or seducing humans. Both fell out of favor in the 19th century, 
though Iceland apparently has a thriving belief in elves today. In fact, they have uh, occasionally on the uh, uh, on the roads uh, in certain uh, places in Iceland elf crossings and little houses uh, are dotted around the land uh, the, the landscape uh, for the uh, for the elves to live in. Yes, um, I personally, the elves for me have always been my favorite creature of the Fae. Um, I've always, you know, had that idea of how cool it would be to actually be an elf. You know, they're beautiful, they're regal, they're tall, they're thin, they're majestic. Just, I've always been fascinated by the elves. Um, in fact, you can ask my co-host, aka brother, um, whenever I play Dungeons and Dragons, I always go first to the elves. My characters are always elves. Um, as I mentioned, uh, they have been written in literary since um, Shakespeare, and he considered them tiny and playful beings. Um, however, it wasn't until the 19th century that the United States um, started thinking of the elves as being the small childlike creature associated with Santa Claus and the North Pole. Um, and Tolkien did begin writing else as being, again, re, uh, human, giving them their, re, I'm sorry, their human-like sizing and appearance. Um, so we do attribute him to bringing that back. But again, he didn't create it. He just brought it back into our knowledge and existence, if that makes sense. Many such fake creatures, however, began losing their hold on the people with the rise of Christianity in Europe. From the Middle Ages on, creatures such as elves, sprites, and pixies were often labeled as paganism and superstition, rather than as a real creature that our human ancestors once probably believed in. For example, elves in 900 BC was labeled as another name for Satan. Geoffrey Chaucer for who is the distinction of being held as both a father of English poetry and the father of literature even covered the elves in Canterbury Tales. Chaucer, father of whichever you wish to call him, equated male elves with the incubi. Interesting. See that? Uh, I, I never knew. Um, but I can kind of see how these creatures being, you know, the firm Christians wanted to do away with anything that mm -hmm. was not of well anything magical or you know mythological they wanted to kind of stir people you away from that right um, so I can kind of see where this came in um, not that I agree with it I mean I one thing I've always been fascinated by is the magic the true magic that's in this world you know despite being a Christian I still am very very much um interested in the magic of the world and the beauty of the world. So, um, but going back, sorry, again, I digress. Being between the 16th and 18th centuries, Scotland had its own witchcraft trials and witnesses often described the encounters with elves, which prosecutors interpreted as encounters with the devil. Um, even medieval and early modern prayers amongst the English and German and Scandinavian people 
did liken these else to evil forces. Yeah, some I think folklore states that elves are really angels who chose between Lucifer and God and were banished to the earth. One such tale goes as far as to call elves the lost child of Eve, or the lost children of Eve, I should say. So I guess would they be considered like the fallen angels, I guess? Half-fallen, pretty much, I would call them. They never chose a side. Now, many old countries all believed in a various form of a changeling. And this is not to be confused with the movie The Changeling, which, you know, came out in the 70s. But they actually believed that the changeling was a fairy child that was left behind when the fae spirited away with a human child. The fairy child would appear sickly and would not grow as a normal child would. The Scottish, however, believed that changelings would be elderly fae exchanged for a human baby. The idea being that the old fairy would live comfortably for the rest of their days, being treated by human parents that would care for it. Now, my own tangent about uh, changelings reminds me of the, uh, this old uh, fairy tale I remember of this uh, widow woman. And, uh, she had just given uh, birth to uh, uh, her her final child uh, from her, you know, after her husband had passed away. And the uh, fae came upon and, you know, switched the children uh, for a changeling. And uh, she approached the uh, queen, uh, the queen of the fae, and says, why did you take my child? You know, I love my child and I can take care of it. And so the uh, fairy queen took pity on her and says, we're sorry, we'll switch them back. And the old woman says, well, what do you mean switch them back? I'll take care of the uh, the changeling as well. Oh, well, that's sweet. Yeah. I've never heard that story, but that's a nice one. Yes. Changelings could happen with adult humans as well. These young adults were sometimes taken in order to marry a fake creature for their own purposes, while young mothers were often taken for to nurse fey babies. It was thought that when an adult was taken in for the fey world, instead of leaving a fey changeling, would be an enchanted log to look like the missing human. The log person would be unmovable and would appear to be sick and, and die. This way, the family would not spend time hunting for the long lost one, but would bury the log thinking a deceased family member. So well, that's, that's the sad. rise of the, uh, the log people. Uh, so I guess this is the way that they um, excuse sicknesses like the plague or cholera or anything like that, that it was actually the person was switched and the healthy person lived on while the log person passed on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, this isn't something that was just considered back in medieval days. There was a woman named Bridget Cleary that lived in Ireland in the late 1800s, had a husband named Michael Cleary, and he murdered her in 1895 and set the body alight shortly thereafter. Hmm. Now, that's 
getting started on a tragic event there. Yes. Um, it says, I have a book about a murder of a woman by her husband, which he burned. His defense was that she was a changeling and he was acquitted of the crime. I think that's actually what we're, you know, discussing there. Discussing here. Interesting. I'd have to yeah. find that book. Um, it's, you know, after a couple of years. Um, I'm sorry, after several years of the marriage, they had no children. And so they moved into the best home in the village. Ah, I'm out of sync. Oh, goodness. We are living out of the sink. <laughs> yeah, we got to wash them dishes, wash them dishes, wash them dishes, wash them dishes. Yes, I apologize. My computer's doing some weird things tonight. Um, hopefully everything will sound okay for the the podcast when I upload it tomorrow. Um, the people didn't have children. And so they lived in the best home in the village. Her father, who was a laborer, moved in with them due to having old age. And as a former laborer, laborer, it's the gremlins. It's gremlins. Yes. That's what I think too. I agree. We're talking about the Fae tonight. So they're acting up and messing with our equipment. That makes total sense. Um, Get no caca. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Going back, um, the father being a former laborer, laborer was the reason they were able to secure the house and neither Bridget, who was a seamstress, nor her husband, Michael, who was a cooper or barrel maker, qualified for such a residence. Um, however, the house had no one in town interested in it, so it was built upon the site of a fairy ring fort. Ah! Let explains, me tell you about the wonderful fairy ring. Yes, which explains why he thought his wife was a changeling. Right. The fairy rings are actually remains of a stone circle from around the late Iron Age of Irish history. These circular structures were made with earthen bank or ditches and often were topped with wooden palisades or buildings. As happens over the time structure are left in ruins so long that no local memories exist as to whom or what created it or what it was for. Circular rings, whether stone or toadstones, are the fairies in folklore. And who knows what strange magic may have lingered around there. Now, interesting to note, when I was living up in uh, Pullman, Washington, right outside of my uh, apartment, because we lived on the first floor, was a always every time around uh, fall, winter time, was a circle of mushrooms. Hmm. So, like I said, it was always in that same exact place. You know, during the uh, spring and summer, no rings. But the moment uh, fall and winter time came around, they were back. It's snow, and that little round ring of mushrooms would be, you know, lightly dusted. Interesting. Yes. So you had a little fairy ring in your yard. 
in the backyard. Yes, I did. Interesting. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Back to poor Bridget. Please yes. tell me more. Yes, I'll have to try to remember what I was going to tell you in regards to that, but that will have to wait. Um, she had been ill for several days, and it was thought she had bronchitis. Um, she had been left with medication, and once the physician visited her more than a week later, she was so ill that he called for the priest for past rites, or for last rites, not past rites, last rites. Um, family and friends visited over the next couple of days, each trying their own home remedies, but nothing worked. It was at this time that both Bridget's husband and her father accused her of being a fairy rather than Bridget herself. Now, um, this part's kind of gross, but they did cover her with urine. May have been their own. Nobody knows. Nobody asked. Um, <laughs> but once she was covered, they carried her from her sickbed and tossed her roughly into the ground before the fireplace. Sorry, the chinos. Hey, it chinos. It's at that point that uh, Farlin uh, Ryan was summoned back to the house where he found Bridget in such a state of agitation. Well, after somebody's already uh, peed for uh, <laughs> all over he you. Carried you, you from know, your bed and threw you on the ground. ground. Yeah. Before the fireplace, you know. I mean, I don't you blame her. her. I'd be upset too. Yeah. Yeah. So. It gets worse than you think. Apparently, her husband, Michael, admitted that he had not been giving her the medicine the doctor prescribed as he had no faith in its ability to help. So she probably ha started out with bronchitis. And since he wasn't treating her, it probably developed into pneumonia, which is why right. she was on her deathbed. Right. I mean, the, doc uh, the priest offered uh, Bridget communion, and Michael was heard to say, people may have some remedy of their own that may not do good than a doctor's medicine. Yeah, I'm wondering what the priest thought about the smell of the place, too. After the uh, priest left, the neighbors and relatives gathered again, and an argument broke out about the fairy mythology and changelings. And at some point, Bridget told Michael that he was the only person who ever gone off of the fairies with his own mother. Oh, yeah, apparently angered Michael tried force-feeding his wife, and she fought this off. And mind you, her body still laid before the fireplace. So he pulled out a flaming stick and let's just say he kind of attacked her with the burning wood. Now, her outfit did catch fire and she he threw the lamp's kerosene oil on her to help the flames do their work. Yeah. Gosh. Man. Witness there say it was either uh, was it unclear if she was already dead at this point, but Michael kept him away from the body as it burned. 
he was ranting about the body being out of a changing and how it had been a changeling with him throughout his, her sickness. He swore he would get his true wife back from the fairies, though no, no one knows just exactly how he'd do it. Yeah, in fact, days um, later, the authorities showed up, having heard rumors of her missing. And he was actually, get this, he was actually holding a vigil for his missing wife at this point. Um, he stated that she had been taking, taken by the fairies and he was awaiting her return. It wasn't until six days later after the first arrival that the police found Bridget's burned body buried in a shallow grave. The coroner claimed that she was alive at the time of her death when she was set ablaze and that the burning was the official cause of death. Oh, sorry. I'm just trying to calm my nerves. When the trial began, Michael and others present for her killing were found guilty of aiding or participating in manslaughter. He himself spent 15 years in prison before he was released. And upon his release, he immigrated to Montreal, Canada, and went into obscurity. You know, it speaks volumes that he and the others present for Bridget's burning did nothing to hide their actions. The front door had been left wide open, and no one worried about the noise or smoke or that anybody was seen coming from the little home. No one had bothered to cover up the assault or the previous attempts to dispel the fairy who possessed her form. And while Bridget is often known as the last witch burned in Ireland, this isn't truly accurate, as there are no witnesses or evidence that point with Bridget having dealings with the devil, which should have been the case with accusing someone of witchcraft. Sorry, one moment. I just messed up. Um, lost my train of thought. Rather, the village thought that she had been replaced with a fairy changeling. The fact that the so-called fairy changeling had been brutally killed meant anything to those who really wanted Bridget back. In Ireland today, there's a nursery rhyme that goes, Are you a witch? Or are you a fairy? Or are you the wife of Micah Clary? And don't worry, we'll be holding a future episode on that myth as well as others behind popular nursery rhymes. There's a lot of darkness hinted amongst those little rhymes, and we're just chanted so innocently while skipping or playing the patty cakes. And teaching our children in school. Yes. But let's get back to Faye and Changelings. Regardless of how you look at them, there were actually many ways to keep the Faye from touching you. In terms of a Changeling, leaving an inverted coat or an open pair of iron scissors nearby were charm enough to keep changelings at bay. Yes, iron is supposed to be what silver is to werewolves. So if you want to protect yourself from the fae, definitely keep some iron in your home. 
always keeping uh, cold iron, any iron really, was another uh, was an anthu, uh, anathema. Anathema. Thank you. You're to welcome. All Besides the modern gremlin who love working with that stuff. There's a story that says when the world was young and all the elements within the earth were awakened and living, that the Fae made a deal with, with iron. No one knows what they've asked for or what iron was to get in return. But it is well known that the Fae did not hold up to their side of the bargain. And the metal remembers that. Even today. Metal memory. That's an interesting uh, side topic for that. Yes. Now, more believe that as the Fae are creatures of light and air, that they would naturally be allergic to the heaviest of minerals, of which iron is in abundance within the ground. However, that doesn't seem to include Fae, such as dwarves who lived underground and mined for all sorts of minerals and gems. Yes. One point we did find is perhaps the Fae simply uh, find iron as a heavy, unwilling, and non-interesting metal, and it's more distasteful to them rather than harmful. We humans, however, are not happy unless we tinker and forge and create tools we find useful. It is in the forging of the iron itself, taking it from original form, inorganic, and twisting it into its own form, using that to make it deadly to them. I don't know, yes. I kind of like the memory of the fact of, uh, you know, uh, that the Fae uh, kind of uh, broke their promise to metal. I agree. Um, also, isn't there something about the acidic and lemon that has to do with the Fae? Mm -hmm. I remember hearing something about that. Maybe it was just right. in a book. Um, but many elements are thought to be magic resistant by their very nature. They either absorb or deflect magic. Iron, because of its naturally magnetic properties, is thought to prevent the Fae from using their magic. And any Fae that are harmed around or by iron would be able to heal themselves quickly enough. Modern, uh, excuse me, not modern, medieval Scandinavia believed that the trolls felt it was more respectable and civilized to have their young raised by humans and would jump at the opportunity to switch out their own child for a human baby. Of course, if a child is baptized, then the power and faith of the Catholic Church render the trolls powerless to abduct it. So that's another good reason to have your child uh, baptized and consecrated in the Catholic uh, Church. Well, what if your child is just blessed? Would that work to keep them safe, or would they no, still you be... Had, you had to... Uh, they believed it was more uh, that, you know, I'm not saying immersion. I'm talking about the little uh, dipping on the water, making the sign of the cross. That, that's what I meant by uh, the uh, early Catholic churches uh, baptism. Ah, so another way that they would try to get people to baptize their children. Yes. You don't want a troll to steal your child, so you better baptize it. Yes. Okay, well, in Scotland, the Ballad of Tam Lin best sums up their feelings for changelings. A child is born with a call or a part of amniotic membrane across her face was soon to die. 
as the true infant had already been spirited away as a replacement for the fairy who had given who had to give her own beloved child up as a tithe to the devil, which fairies are supposed to do every seven years. Um, now, in the book Phantom, which is based on the story of the Phantom of the Opera, this is how he was supposed to have been born, right? With the call, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, with the book? Correct. Uh, well, some say were helpful and good to have around. People mostly spent their time coming up with ways to protect themselves from a wide variety of the Fae out there. Yes, historically, if you were lucky enough to live near marshlands, you would make garlands from yellow marigolds that grew within. And these garlands were hung over barn doors to keep the horses and other animals safe from the Fae, who apparently loved nothing more than to borrow a horse for a ride, even to the point of exhaustion for the poor animal. Now, other flowers, such as primrose or St. John's wort, were spread over the windowsills and hung above doors of the house for safety from fey magic and mischief. Now, have you ever smelled marigolds, primrose, or St. John's wort? I have not. They have a very unique smell to them. So, if your house smelled good, then the fey wouldn't come and bother you. Interesting. I have horrible allergies, so I'm not able to do a lot of floral smells. They give me migraines. Right. Now, suppose if you want to see a fairy. Just suppose. Say to me okay. if you want to see a fairy. I want to see a fairy. Then you should carry around a four-leaf clover with you. Though its magic would only work fun once. In fact, the Celts had her the tradition of including several four-leaf clovers into a tiny little bag they wore around their necks, which would allow them to see the fairies for each clover in the bag. That way, you can see the the fae glam uh, through the uh, the fae's glamour as well as the disguises. Interesting. Now I remember what I wanted to say earlier. Um, there's this video um, on the show. Um, paranormal caught on camera and i wish we could show it but for copyright reasons we can't but definitely if you have a chance later for our viewers and listeners look it up um but the video is this family in england who found these i don't know if they're in huge dragonflies or what but they were about this can you see like this tall um kind of they were maybe about I want to say maybe a foot to two feet tall flying around the trees and they insisted that these were actually fairies flying around um kind of like that. yeah and if you they actually zoom in on the creatures and they do actually have kind of a human form along their wings um so yeah for our viewers and listeners if you get a chance look up that video from paranormal caught on camera um, again, I wish we could show it, but due to copyright, we were not able to. But it was very interesting. It makes me wonder, were they just very large dragonflies, or were they really fairies? Hmm. Ooh, it makes me wonder. Yes. Ooh, it makes me wonder. Now, red berries would also keep the fae from your door, especially if you use those from the rowan trees, mountain or ash, or even holly. 
So I guess that's why we put Holly out at Christmas. Yep, we deck our halls with uh, boughs of holly. La 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 la. Red verbenas would do in a pinch. Daisies were also popular to tuck into pockets of children or twisted into daisy chains that to be worn around their neck. And these supposedly prevented the fae from carrying the child away. Now, regardless of age, if you had to enter the woods, you would carry a stick made of ash or rowan wood for protection. Salt, like other supernatural critters, is bane to most fae. Carrying a piece of bread made with salt and yeast with you could be used in two ways. It would repel many of the fae, but it could also be acceptable as an offering to others to leave you as being. So basically, it was either back off or here's something for you. Yes, um, I know salt is very good for keeping uh, magic at bay in a lot of different forms. Um, you don't want it to be gathering. And if you think about it, it's interesting because going back to iron is a mineral and salt is a mineral. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, again, like you said, if it has something to do with the minerals in the earth that affect these magical creatures. The Welsh, among others, do have a tradition of leaving saucers of milk and bread slices or crust onto the stoop as an offering to the fae so they wouldn't play pranks on you or your livestock. Um, some even say if you want to help the, from the fae, again, you should add honey, cheese, or berries, as long as they're not red. And this is a tribute for the fairies. Yes. Salt, however... Was the time mercy salt? However, was the medieval times' best form of deterrent, sprinkling across thresholds and windowsills, keeps away all forms of sprites, spirits, or the devil from entering a home. Oatmeal could do in a pinch, but wasn't always effective. So yes. I guess that's why you put oatmeal. In, uh, some people do salt in their oatmeal. Now. I know some people use white salt and some people use black salt. Um, I'm wondering what the difference between the two is. Um, maybe that's something we can discuss again on another episode. Um, yeah, and how come, oh, no one really wants to do anything with Himalayan salt? Well, I know Himalayan salt is supposed to be for rejuvenation and health. Um, so, I don't know, maybe because it's rejuvenating and healthy, 
it, it's not good for doing away with bad things? I right. don't know. That's a good question. We'll have yeah. to do a um, do something about a topic on talk that later salt. on. Yes, let's talk about salt, baby. baby. Sorry. <laughs> and the pepper too. Let's talk about all the things they used to do. Let's talk about salt and pepper, baby. <laughs> Sorry. Um, iron is the one, though, that most believe would you would turn to for protection. And carrying an iron nail in your pocket or sewn into the hem of a child's garment um, was supposed to help them from, say, being whisked away. Now, horseshoes, rather than like today, being nailed to walls in a U-shape in order to catch the luck, were nailed sideways, forming the letter C, so that it formed or it resembled the crescent moon. And this was supposed to approach the fae or repel the approaching fae. So I guess if it saw the iron, like in the crescent moon shape, it was like, ooh, well, let me stay away from there, which is also interesting because I know there's a lot of theories on the horseshoe and do we put it up to hold the luck in or do we put it down to keep the bad out? That's another thing we can discuss in future. Steel made by processing iron is even better as it can be formed into weapons that you can cut and poison the face. But it could be bothersome as well, because if you accidentally cut one, you had better to be ready to fend off an attack from the other fae in the area. It's also said they don't appear to like crosses, whether it's metal or wood. So, you've done your best to keep out of the fae's path. But if you were to come across one, what should you do? Lucky for all of us, uh, wonderful people. We do have a list that we put together. First, never eat anything they offer you. If you find someone yourself in the land of the Fae, the food will always hold you there. And it's not just better for those whose feet are firmly planted in our world. As a Fae will leave food, you're no longer wanting for anything grown or processed here. You will simply starve, wishing nothing more of the Fae food you had stupidly let pass your lips. Okay. Um, second, never give them your real name as it gives them power over you and they could possibly control you. So if asked by a fae, what is your name? Make one up or give them a nickname. But be sure it's one that you can remember in case you come across them again and they want to visit. They will expect you not to be honest with your name, but they will expect you to use that same false name should you chance meet them again. So that's kind of like, you know, the whole Rumpelstiltskin. If you tell me your name, I'll let you go. Yes. And uh, that always, uh, if you ask me again, I'll tell you the same. Yes. However... If you are in possession of that cre that fake creature's real name, true name, then say it aloud and they'll be forced to leave you alone. Rather than to run the risk of falling un underneath your own power and losing themselves completely. Again, Rumpelstiltskin. Yes. Third, do not be rude or inhospitable toward the fake. 
Now, don't promise them anything and be careful when accepting gifts from them as things are not always what they seem when dealing with the Fae. But again, if you decline, do so graciously. Don't just be, no, I don't want your, your gift. Get out of my face. Yes. Fourth, never, ever, ever say thank you to a Fae for anything. To the Fae, thanks means that you owe them a favor or a gift in return. And it's the Fae who decides the weight of that gift will be. If it could be as simple as a small task fulfilled, but it may decide you own them for their firstborn child. Again, rumpled steel skin. Instead of a simple mm -hmm. nod, you know, instead of give a simple nod when accepting a gift or the information is considered safe. That's going to be a hard one for me because I'm a very, you know, polite person. Yes, so it's just to be polite. And say thank you. Better say thank you. So, and she also taught us don't lift a gift horse in the mouth. So, yes. Now, finally, you should never stand in a fairy ring, no matter how charming they appear. We did mention fairy forts earlier. But a ring is something else altogether, as fairy rings are, as you mentioned earlier, circles of mushrooms that go around where a tree once stood. Yes, these rings really do exist, and they are lovely things, especially if they're found in an opening in the woods. See? There now, you go. we do, after we get rain, we have a huge mushroom about this big that grows in our garden every year now i'm wondering could that be a fairy home or is that just a large mushroom that's grown from the the mold and the mildew from the rain mm -hmm. our own researcher has one of the woods within sights of the bedroom window oh really we do she said it was lovely to gaze on at the safety of her own home when the sun just hits it just right, bathing in the light and setting the ring aglow amongst the darkness of the surrounding trees. She, I think however, this is the one you were, I think, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think this is the one you were telling us about earlier when you lived in Pullman. Right. Go on. I apologize. No, I think this was an original uh, home. Oh, okay. Uh, when she was a child. She, however, was smart enough not to wa uh, want to deserve the magic instead let it be. Well, fairy rings are actually portals to the fairy realm. So this is why you don't want to stand in one. Even if the fae didn't allow you to cross over, it is said that time moves very differently within this ring. And you could be there thinking it was only a few seconds, only to find that years or centuries could have passed around you. Whether you, whatever you, however you feel about fairy rings, do not try to eat the mushrooms from one before carefully consulting with local experts. As many such fungi are easily found in the woods are actually poisoned and can be merely misidentified by those who haven't studied the height of growing or the types within the region. But again, what if you want to attract the Fae to your home rather than repel them? 
Well, for starters, no matter how cute of a fairy door or garden you have in the yard, it simply just is not enough. If you do want a fairy to feel at home, you have to be a friendly and kind sort of person as the fairy will want to feel at home. Right. Failure, fairies in particular are drawn to nature. So those who help by putting up bird feeders or bowls for stray cats in the neighborhood certainly do help. Also thriving house plants and healthy pets show the fairies that you care about those in your care. Yes. Some say you can write out an invitation to a fairy and come with come a calling to make your house its home. Fairies have a, a life for corn. They've been the sucker for sweets. Leaving crumbles of cookies, crumbles of the, the fairy size, uh, and sweet little bowls of milk or tea are sure to bring them to your yard. If you want the fairy or pixie to enter the house, you can still offer food when they can't see it. But they treasure shiny things be it a bright penny or an odd piece of broken jewelry or a piece of glass that no longer has any use for it. But when, I mean, if, I would rather do that than leave the food out because that would attract other bugs and stuff as well. So now going back to my original question at the beginning of this topic, do fairies and in a greater sense to any of the fae at all, do they really exist? Or is this just story in lore, of lore passed on through time? Well, there's certainly been hoaxes uh, perpetrating to show that the Fae, who tend to remain invisible around humans. The most famous pictures are the Cotley Fae photographs taken between 1917 and 1920. There are five photographs in all, and it is known that the creator of the brilliant Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, was taken to even believe in them to be real. Yes, we actually do have one of these posted on our website in our photo gallery if y'all want to check it out, if y'all have never seen the photos. Um, there is also the duplicity that involved two cousins, Elise, I'm sorry, Elsie Wright and Francis Griffiths. They were both 16 and 9 when the photos were taken. And Elsie's mother was so convinced that she took the photos to the Theosophical Society where they came to Doyle's attention. Um, keep I keep thinking, thinking about the fairy that bit uh, the, uh, the girl in uh, Labyrinth and Hoggle was spraying them because she felt bad for them. Yes, I remember she felt bad about Hoggle spraying the, the fae yes, and, and, and killing Hoggle's them. Response, uh, response to that is like, what do you expect from a fairy? They're not really nice creatures. Yes. Yes. Now, Elsa's mother was so convinced she took the photographs to the Theosophical Society where they came in to provide uh, Doyle's attention. Where he firmly believed it or not, Doyle thrust the pictures into the limelight as he used them as an article he had already commissioned to write the strand. The photograph touched the human imagination and was widely used as proof for years. Now, at first, in 1917, 
they were simply two pictures. The girls, however, were asked by the Theosophical Society for three more in 1920 and gave the girls each a camera, but with secretly marked photo plates. The three new photographs were taken to the Kodak company directly, and they claimed the photos supposedly were not tampered with. Now, I agree that the photos do not look like they were tampered with, but again, they they look like they are a cardboard cutout so set up tell to... You about the, uh, the two sisters, I mean the two girls. Because okay. it wasn't until 1983 that the two little girls from the 20s, now two elderly women, who knew that they would not survive to see the 90s, admitted the truth of the hoax. They took illustrations of dancing girls from a popular children's book of the time called Princess Mary's Gift and drew wings on them. Cutting them out, they used hat pins to prop the images up for each photograph, and that was it. The first real photo, uh, photogenic hoax. And in the end, far more simplistic than those of fake mediums who began double exposing the film to make the look and the spirits were all around. There you go. I, I was just going to say, to me, they looked like cardboard cutouts. And right. that's exactly what they were. Um, the one thing the girls both did maintain, however, was that they really had seen fairies. But the pictures they showed were hoaxes. Actually, Elsie said all five were hoaxes. But Francis claimed the fifth and final photograph was genuine. In an interview, Francis claimed it was a wet Saturday afternoon and we were just, you know, being lazy about with our cameras and Elsie had nothing prepared. I saw these fairies building up in the grasses and just aimed the camera and took the photo. Right. right. When asked why they held off to such a ruse, Elsie claimed that the girls were both through embarrassed to tell the truth once they learned that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle believed them to be true. Neither girl even thought it was a fraud at the time. Simply just kind of having a bit of fun. Surprisingly, neither could understand why people wanted them to be taken in by the photos in the first place. Now, we aren't saying that the Fay folk aren't real as too many people throughout the ages have claimed to have dealt with them and they cannot be dismissed right out of hand. And even the illustrious bard himself, Shakespeare, wrote in Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt in your philosophy. And I personally definitely agree with that line. I, I personally believe there is so much more magic in this world that philosophy and science just cannot explain. You know, it is a highly debated line as the Bard himself has never revealed what he meant precisely in that uh, penning that line. In the play, Hamlet is telling his friend Horatio that the situation he finds himself in is confronted with the ghost of his father, declaring that he was murdered by his own brother. Was Hamlet chased, chastising his friend for not having an open mind? Well, if you look at the first folio printing of the play, Shakespeare's actual wrote, in our philosophy, 
perhaps meaning of all mankind itself. Still, we can't help the sign as many others before us to try and imply here for our own purposes. Yes. As I said, I I prefer to look at it as, you know, like he said, our philosophy, mankind himself and science is like, oh, well, this can't exist because it goes against science. Well, to me, there's far more magic in the world than what science claims. And maybe someday science will be able to explain it as we continue to, you know, study and discover things. But I don't think it'll discredit it. I think it'll just prove it, if that makes sense. Neither credit nor discredit. It is within the uh, bounds of not understanding what the world it really is. Exactly. Now, that same silly same city dweller would probably have better have a better take on the lingering souls that can stay attached to the place of their deaths than would someone who lives in a newer developed area outside the city limits. Gee. <laughs> Sorry. Some are open to what they want to see and want to believe. However, others do remain closed off to the possibility and instead ground themselves in science and the known. We are all of us different. And while we mainly all want the same things like freedom, fresh air, and good, decent life for ourselves and our families, each of us are unique with goals and wishes and dreams that differ. There is nothing wrong with holding on to long-told family cultures or beliefs or wanting to feel them for yourself, even if you are an outsider. We each have within us to accept or deny that magic exists within our world, but it is up to you to decide how you deal with it. It says, scientific say, people say bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly, but they do. Exactly. And while we haven't covered even a fraction of it yet, we still have a lots of legends, lores, myths, nursery rhymes ahead of us in future episodes. Now, you're talking about Selkings, or even maybe about Titania, Summer Queen of the Fae. Goodness knows we can fill an entire episode just speaking of the various leaders of Seelies and Unseelie Courts. Well, we just have to... Uh, have to see what ha what nobody we have to see exactly what the new year holds so stick with us and spend the month a little lighter in tone as we enter the Christmas season that's the reason why we didn't do a Krampus episode next this next Sunday December 11th we'll find us discussing various ways that Christmas is celebrated around the world now we realize that not all countries believe in Santa Claus with a flying reindeer and a toy job filled with magical elves, as many Americans do. So it'll be fun to find out just what the season meant to those we share this beautiful world with. And with that, we leave you in peace this evening to dwell upon the possibilities of magic in the air. Whether it be from little pixie dust drifting down or the childhood thrill of knowing that Christmas is coming. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe to us if you want to be advised of upcoming episodes or the little tidbits we share and discuss in between episodes. 
You can make here found on Facebook Live, on our Twitch stream, as well as anywhere podcasts are found. And we love to hear from you. So either feel free to message us directly or leave a comment. And if you have a subject you'd like to, um, to take on, let us know and we'll be happy to fit it into our schedule. Yes, some of us have cool Yules. Yes, we I actually went to a Yule last year. It was a lot of fun. Yes. And we also do want to remind you that uh, when you're laughing and frolicking in the forest and you see a, uh, a little door or a window on, uh, in the middle of a tree, don't open it up. That's just rude. <laughs> we also do have a uh, website, skepticpsychic.com. So for you to check us out there. And don't forget, if you like what you've been listening to, don't forget to leave us uno, dos, cuatro, cinco, seis. Dan, dan. We like the four stars. Five stars. Five stars, sorry. Yes. But be honest, if there's something you feel we can improve or things we should be changing, let us know. Yes. Um, we, you can, um, if you leave us a review, we do read them on air. And we do have a few things that we've been discussing in the background. Um, so make sure you join us in our Facebook group, The Skeptic Psychic, where we might be having some polls on some ideas that we have, and we'd love to get your feedback on. Um, we are currently toying with the idea of possibly opening up a Patreon. Um, so we'd love to hear from you guys. And <laughs> Raymond says, good show. Thanks for having me. Unless you're Faye. We'll never tell. Yes. I just me obey. <laughs> That's B-A-E. Yes. But again, um, we do have some ideas. We, we are thinking for a Patreon. And we'd love to hear from our listeners to hear what y'all would like from us if we do offer a Patreon. So we'll definitely open that up in discussion in our Facebook group with our, as you call them. Do you remember what we decided to call them last week? Uh, yeah, and I was told by the researcher she didn't like that name. So, Aww. again, I would love for you guys to actually uh, create a, uh, you know, let's, you know, maybe when we set up a poke, we can actually set up uh, the different uh, names uh, that uh, we could possibly use besides calling everybody the peanut gallery. Oh, I thought it was the pod people. The po Yes, I know, but I'm saying the pod people. Shadow's like, no, we don't need to be calling them that. Well, I mean, I thought it fit. I mean, we're a podcast. People are listening in, but we'll bring that up to you people. Oh, <laughs> Raymond likes the pod people. Pod people. Yes, well, well, we may have a poll on that as well in the group. Yeah. Um, but again, make sure if you're watching us on YouTube that you like and subscribe and hit the notification. Yeah, she said and it was basically uh, it was basically uh, Sort of like the uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Ah, uh, okay. So, any other final thoughts before we close out for this week? <clears throat> Unpleasant nightmares. Sweet dreams, everybody, and good night. We'll see you good next night. week. Alrighty. Have a good one.